Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome, TTV community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the tardy Elliot Shibley. Tardy? You were tardy today. All right. You told me we were getting on at like four in the afternoon. There was a possibility. And then you told me, you did not tell me that we were getting on at eight until it was 7.53. I was on at 7.30 a.m. patiently waiting for you to get on the podcast. Yeah, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for the notification. <laughs> All right. What do, we, what do we have going on today? No bickering right now. <laughs> well, before we get into the show, it's one of our Travel Bites episodes, which is really exciting. We do want to mention our Minivan and Memories partner, blogging platform for travelers who want to share their stories but don't have their own platform. And we do want to mention that our Patreon is up and running, and if you enjoy our podcasts and you've been, been enjoying the Travel Bites episodes, please consider donating a dollar a month or more uh, to our Patreon. It's pretty easy to do. You can sign up. We currently have one donor, and we're looking for a goal of 100 by any time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for the cost of less than a bottle of water per month, it, you can help us produce the podcast and you know purchase new equipment and things like that all right so today's travel bites episode we have 11 different news articles that we wanted to discuss with you from the failing thomas cook airline company um jeff goldblum is getting a new travel show which i'm super pumped for i know i'm so excited i love that man (laughs) yeah yeah and we kind of get into um articles on dark tourism and what that actually is so uh, without further introduction, I think we should just get started on our first article. Elliot, do you want to take this one? Yeah. So we all were aware back in the beginning of the month, Hurricane Dorian hammered the Bahamas for a few days and kind of decimated large parts of the island. And if you haven't seen images of it or any videos of the uh, kind of devastation that occurred, then I would recommend checking it out just to clue yourself in and large parts of the island um, Abaco and Grand Bahamas are still closed but the Bahamas tourism uh, still wants people to come because tourism was a large part of their income gross domestic product so they still want people visiting the island yeah and but it's not we should say that not the entire island was not affected there's unaffected islands um Including yes. some very popular destinations like Nassau, Paradise Island, uh, the Eximus, and Cat Island. So these these islands were essentially untouched by the hurricane and are currently operating just as they normally have. So if you were planning on going to the Bahamas or uh, you you want to go to the Bahamas, you still can do it. You still can have a pretty much normal experience there, and you'd be contributing income to the country, which they can use for their recovery. Um, so. Don't be discouraged. The Bahamas will still be a tourist destination. It's just that certain islands, and I think it's specifically Abaco. Yep, Abaco and, and the Grand Bahama. And Grand Bahama are the only ones that really need major rebuilding. Yep. Yeah, so now <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Oh, we forgot to mention that was brought to you by Keely Rizzo of Travel and Leisure. Uh, so this article is... Rolling Stones kind of interviewed Jeff Goldblum about his new travel show, which is going to be called The World According to Jeff Goldblum. And <laughs> he is this going to be on Disney Plus? 
So it's on the Disney streaming service, which gets released in November, on November 12th. So I know that I think there's a Disney streaming service and then a Disney Plus streaming service. Um, all I know is I'm getting it. I was going to get it regardless with my, for my daughter. You know, it, this, this package is going to be incredible. Um, it's everything Disney, everything Marvel, everything Star Wars, everything Pixar. It is going to be hard to... Uh, I like not, all those things. I know. It's going to be hard to not jump on that. I mean, you're going to have everything from Disney classics that we grew up with to new content, like new original series. They're making a Star Wars original series. Um, I know every, that. That's cool. Yeah, every Marvel movie. And now the biggest one, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so I think, what is it called again? It's called The World According to Jeff Goldblum. I watched a trailer for it. If you just Google it, you can you can find your own trailer. But it has some very Anthony Bourdain-y vibes, which I was a huge fan of and still am. I still watch those episodes on Netflix. So nice. I think if anybody can carry the torch from Anthony Bourdain, it it could be Jeff Goldblum. Uh, so I'm I'm really I'm really excited yeah. for this. And that, to tie into this, it's not related to his new show, but they are doing a new movie with the original cast of Jurassic Park called, mm-hmm. what is it called? It's like a Jurassic World. I don't know what they're going to call it, but wait, so they made three. This is going to be the fourth Jurassic World movie, and they're bringing in Dr. Malcolm, they're bringing in Dr. Grant, and then Ellie. I think she's a doctor too. Dr. Ellie. We'll just call her doctor. <laughs> Dr. Ellie. <laughs> yeah, so those are the three. I mean, if, you don't, if you're not too familiar with the Jurassic Park movies, it was... Yeah, the guy in the blue shirt, the guy, in, the girl in the pink shirt, and the guy in the black jacket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Life. Uh, and you know, finds I just a wanna, way. Life finds a way. I I just want to add that this show is not going to be about food, um, as specifically as Anthony Bourdain's show was. Jeff Goldblum is going to travel to these locations and just pick and choose what he finds interesting and dive into it a little bit deeper. Um, part of what I read, it could be anything from like sneakers, jewelry, ice cream, tattoos. Uh, Korean barbecue, square dancing, synchronized swimming, and much more. So, interesting. Um, really looking forward to that new show. Interesting show for an interesting man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So, the next article we have is from USA Today, uh, written by Gabrielle Cannon. And this is about Yosemite. So, Yosemite Park, it hangs in the balance as U.S. parks juggle growth pre- and preservation. So, they're dealing with it's one of the most populated national parks in the United States. And they're trying to figure out how to accommodate over tourism issues while still managing, while management is still looking for new ways to attract a new generation of tourists that seem to be less interested in the outdoors and more interested in staring at their phones. Yeah, through staring at their outdoors through their phone. <laughs> staring at pictures of Yosemite Park on Instagram instead of actually going to Instagram. And so it, it's a really odd mix. And I'm not even sure I completely understand what they're talking about because on one end it seems like they are trying to figure out ways to bring in new people and on the other hand they're trying to figure out ways to manage the absurd amount of people they already have um yeah but according to the article eight thousand vehicles pass through the gates uh, how how often i would assume that's every day yeah probably yeah more than four million people visit the park annually that's and they've got 12 billion dollars in infrastructure repairs yeah and so what they plan on doing is I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it, but they're going to try to uh, build luxury lodging and upscale restaurants and uh, 
cell phone towers to saturate the wilderness in cell phone coverage. So uh, that way the bears can talk to each other, uh, talk to each other across the park. I hate it. Can't we go anywhere without our phones anymore? No, no, I guess not. So now you're going to have people posting directly to Instagram right dead smack in the middle of the Yosemite wilderness. I'm not a fan. One of the cool things about going to these national parks is when your phone just stops working and you truly feel alone, isolated in the wild. I've yeah. always thought that was pretty cool. Do you remember talking to Paulina about this last October? Not uh, necessarily the preservation and growth, but the national park entrance hikes. I do. I do yeah. remember that. Yep. And I, it's, it's a tough it's tough to deliberate between, yeah, you want more people to have access to the park because more people are going, but you also want to be able to preserve it. I still don't know which side I'm on. Right. I, I, well, I can tell you that I'm not for cell phone towers throughout the park. I'm not for that. I am for helping people see the park, but yeah, I, I, and I do think that increasing the cost to get in is going to... It's going to restrict certain individuals. It's going to restrict certain individuals, but it's going to increase the infrastructure. I don't know. It's a tough one. Another gray area. Yeah. Everything's gray. Everything is gray. I'm a dog. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our next article comes to us from Dina Fine from National Geographic. And this one's kind of cool. Not necessarily really explicitly to travel, but uh, more about wildlife events that you've really never heard of. Yeah. So the event is called the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Fauna and Flora. Uh, also known as the acronym CITES, C-I-T-E-S. Right, yeah. So nine animals received increased protection from international trade and more than 130 species won protections for the first time at what is a two-week summit aimed at managing the multi-billion dollar cross-border wildlife trade while preventing endangered animals and plants from sliding into extinction. This sounds like a really big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't heard of it, you should probably look it up. It's kind of... It's kind of awesome. Kind yeah, of very awesome. There's a ton of information on on the various topics that they brought up, and we really we're not going to get into them all right now. Um, I think the first, the four biggest ones, or four ones that stuck out to us, was um, marine animals are actually being included now. For some reason, they weren't before, but at the end of the summit, they decided to proceed with increased protections for mako sharks, wedgefish, and guitarfish. I've only heard of one of those. I know makos yeah. are the popular ones for like shark fin soup. Yes, yes. They're extremely Like wedge fish and guitar fish, I have not heard of. No, neither have I. Um, Got to look those up. So the exotic pet trade is putting an increasing strain on dozens of threatened species. And more than a third of the proposals this year related to reptiles and amphibians that are now threatened, largely because of their popularity as exotic pets in the United States and the EU. Great. Yeah. Do you remember, um, you know, the slow loris, not a reptile or amphibian, but the slow loris, it's got those big brown eyes and it moves kind of slow. Uh, nope. I, do not. I have no idea what you're talking I'm about. I'm sure you've seen it, but there are yeah. tons of videos on the internet about those and they're not good to keep as pets because they're extremely endangered and they do not do well in captivity. Yeah. Well, I mean, the python but, issue in Florida is directly owed to pets, right? I, yes. Pythons are not native to Florida at all. Uh, nope. And now they are thriving in, in that tropical climate. Yeah. So the third topic is, that they covered was how countries should fund conservation. And I, I guess they were struggling to come up with answers for this. 
and they didn't actually come up with an answer during the conference. Um, so they're debating whether to use ecotourism or to, you know, what we talked about, what we will be talking about with Robin this month on trophy hunting and safaris. So it's, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there seems to have been continued frustrations between South Southern African countries and then 30 countries that make up the African elephant coalition. It, there's a debate on about, about how to manage the trade in these large animals and protect them, uh, including ivory and rhino horn. So it got pretty intense. On one end, you have South Southern African countries like Botswana, Nambia, and Zimbabwe. Um, they had very different views from the countries that have come together as the African Elephant Coalition. And so it, it's there's more information than we're going to give you right here, more information than I even understand on actually what they're debating. Uh, so I recommend that if you're interested in this to look it up further. Yes, um, definitely. That's a pretty it, cool topic. Well, the, the whole conference is pretty cool. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they came to a conclusion on how to preserve these these elephants. So hopefully they do. So our next article uh, comes to us from New York Post, Hannah Sparks, and it's about how you, you listening right now, can get paid $27,000 wow, $27, to live in the Italian countryside. I don't know if that's a year or per day. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, per, it's per year. Well, $770 per month for three years. And so there are special terms and conditions nice. to this. So you can, they'll, they'll set you up with a house, you can renovate it, and you're going to be in the middle of the beautiful Italian countryside. It's a very mount, mountainous, mountainous area. We're struggling this morning. <laughs> southern Adriatic coast. Uh, and they, these towns have less than 2,000 residents. And part of the deal is that you need to pledge that you're going to either start a business or help revitalize the small economy in some way. I don't, I don't know how else you would do it. Maybe just getting a job or, or contributing to the community. But they, these towns are, I don't, I don't want to say falling apart, but that kind of seems, seems like what's happening. And they need help revitalizing them. Um, this seems like a really cool deal. And I know this isn't the first Italian town to do this. It's interesting. So uh, back in, since 2014, uh, some of these towns have lost uh, like 10% of their population and it continues to decline yearly. Well, the overall population of Italy is increasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think some of the issue lies with a lot of the young Italians are leaving the countryside for better jobs, better working environments in more of the uh, larger populated cities in Europe and not just Italy, but I'm sorry, in Italy and Europe. Yeah. 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 So nearly 155,000 young Italians left in 2018. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Very. All right. What's up next? So, uh, American, oh yeah. Um, this one's a little, a little odd. So an American airlines pilot, a mechanic, I'm sorry, an American airlines mechanic was caught sabotaging a flight linked to a possible terrorist organization. And this was this came to us in September 19th, on September 19th, and it was written by Andrea Romano of Travel and Leisure. So what they discovered was uh, a pilot who was charged in September with sabotaging a flight to Nassau, Bahamas back in July. He was denied bond by a federal judge, and he's accused of having links to a terrorist organization. Uh, he had lied to them 
Uh, he has prosecutors about taking a trip to Iraq to visit his brother, whom he allegedly told a coworker was a member of ISIS. And so this is this is scary. I mean, and this is something that yeah, seems to always be lingering uh, in the background of air travel. Um, this has very eerie and similar uh, a similar feeling to what we experienced with the 9/11 terrorists who had spent months learning how to fly commercial planes within the United States. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. But on a lighter note, if you look at flight statistics over the last 30 years, the many of the U S airlines and many airlines in general have some of the lowest crash rates now than ever before. And mm-hmm. still flying will always and has been safer than cars for a long time. You're more likely to die in a car accident or be struck by lightning or eaten by a shark than die in a plane. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, like I, this is beyond mechanical error, right? Like that's what we were, that's no, but that that factors in, it factors in terrorist activity. Does it? Yeah. And it includes the two air max flights in the past year. Mm -hmm. So even with those, it's still lower. Yeah. So, so the next few articles are about a major uh, travel news story that blew up in the um, European travel world. So the probably, this operator, is probably the biggest travel story that's going to be around for a long time because it's a massive disruption in the travel industry. Yeah. So from the New York Times, we have an article on the tour operator Thomas Cook, which collapsed this month. So... It, it forced hundreds of thousands of travelers to scramble to find a way home after last minute negotiations to obtain necessary financing for the debt written company fell apart. Yeah. An estimated 600,000 people were believed to be stranded around the world, including around 140,000 Germans. I don't know why this guy specifically pointed out Germans. Because Germans travel a lot. <laughs> Do that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so th- that, blows my mind 600,000 people stranded around the world and yeah it's so just to give you a little bit of background on Thomas Cook if you've never heard of them until now they are one of the oldest travel companies in the world maybe one of the oldest companies still operating in the world they started in 1841 and they have grown to be a powerhouse of a travel agency growing so big that they have their own personal chartered flights like they have a fleet of planes just for thomas cook and they are massive yeah it's, it's i mean the fact that they have six hundred thousand people stranded on the day that they went bankrupt mm-hmm. no we shouldn't say i don't think all of those people are stranded in their other countries it, i think that also includes people who were stranded you know at home who were planning on leaving i think I think I don't think so. No, you yeah, that's not so? that's not stranding. <laughs> no, that's not stranding. I guess. <laughs> well, so to tie that in, we have two different articles. So now we have an article from Business Insider uh, on September twenty third by by uh, Sahar Asfandiari. Thank you. You're welcome. And so this article talks about the horror stories about the people who were actually stranded from weddings had to be canceled. People were were lost without support or any information on how they were going to be reimbursed and. One woman told BBC that she and her fiance had spent 41,000 US dollars on a travel for family members to their wedding in Greece next month. And another couple said they were due to fly out for their wedding on Monday. But when they woke up and found out that their flights had been canceled, 
they're they had to figure something out. Yeah, dude, I could not imagine just waking up one morning. The day did they wake up? The day is that what it said? They woke up to fly out for their wedding on Monday morning, but woke up to find their flight had been canceled. Wow. Yeah. But, and one thing that's not clear is how many people actually knew that Thomas Cook was struggling. And from reading several of these articles, it appears that the company started to struggle with the onset of the internet and people starting to become their own travel agent, people starting to find cheaper flights themselves, people starting to make connections on the ground and start using like Airbnb, Uber. And so I think the company struggled with transitioning from a travel agent necessary world to a world that really didn't rely on travel agents and it was becoming more and more individual. Yeah. To, to bring you back to that family who was booking the wedding in Greece, I have a quote. Um, Needless to say, I'm absolutely gutted. We literally woke up to go to the airport when we found out. Hmm. And, and so a third article tying this all in is coming from the Business Insider. Uh, the rival airlines are hiking prices by as much as 400% after the collapse of the Thomas Cook Airline Company. Yeah. And, and then... That's by Sinead Baker. I, th- I think this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you have companies. Well, so. Kick I someone did, while they're down. But the thing is, they, they also are trying to lower. They, their, their supply is going down, right? And demand is going up. So in order to. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, at the don't same. Know, it's, but it's still one of those things like these people have to get back. Right. It's not yeah. like it's not like it's their own fault. Mm-hmm. And so you have airlines like Jet2, British Airways, and Ryanair have all increased their prices by as much as four hundred percent. And so a woman from Jet2 and a representative from Jet2 said that, and I quote, "Our pricing, as is common practice in the travel industry, is based on the principle of supply and demand. As supply reduces, an inevitable consequence is that prices increase. However," We are looking to adding more supply, lights, and seats to help customers at this time. Yeah. Um, and a vacationer yeah. told BBC that a flight from Glasgow, Scotland to Rhodes, Greece was $1,000 on Tuesday, up from $280 on the Sunday prior. Man. Yeah. That's unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully, if, if actually any of you experienced any of the Thomas Cook stuff, we'd love to talk to you more about it. Uh, if not, then, and if you've never heard of Thomas Cook before, then it probably didn't matter to you and won't matter to you anymore. Doesn't matter now. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, the next article we have uh, right here, it's specific to our United States. New York City is uh, upgrading their Central Park by giving it a $150 million makeover. And this was brought to us by House Beautiful, written by Megan Boy. I'm not sure. U-I-U, maybe? U-I-U, yeah, I don't know. Um, So this is huge. This is is a big deal. They're going to include an ice skating rink and a boardwalk and just really renovate the area between it's west of 5th Avenue and south of 110th Street. And so in the summer months, you will be able to visit a pool, deck, splash pad, and green roof. And when it starts to get a little bit chillier, you can where the pool area will transform into a massive skating rink and the boardwalk is intended to be a space where the public can fish and canoe. That's pretty cool. Cause I think the, they have a few, oh, 
they have a few skating rinks, the main one being on the southern end. So it's nice that this is on the northern end. Yeah. Yeah. So construction is set to commence in the spring of 2021 with its grand opening slated for 2024. Yeah. You got five years to plan your trip. Yeah. Now we just, we wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this one is also pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, this this might have been my favorite article this month. This is brought to us by Condé Nast, and the author is Meredith Carey. I am refraining from talking about the title because of how cool it is waiting for the you know big reveal, which is that Airbnb is sending people on sabbatical again, this time to Antarctica. So this is pretty awesome. Bob and I have actually been contemplating taking a trip with Brian, the third member of our you know, travel group that takes all the photos. Thanks, Brian. But you'll be able to do research with a nonprofit and you spend a lot, a a good amount of time on the icy continent. So it's very difficult to travel to Antarctica in the first place. Most trips, if you're doing it as a tourist are at least 5,000 for maybe five days. If you want to go for more than that, it's upwards of 10,000. And you have to go there by boat unless you, you know, work on the continent and you're doing research yourself. The rare occasion you'll actually helicopter in. But yeah, Airbnb is offering it to five travelers to make the total population of the continent up to 4,005. Yeah. And so they're calling them citizen scientists and they're going to be volunteers with, they're looking for volunteers with vague interest in science. And You'll have what does that mean, sh- vague interest in science? I have no idea. I, I don't know. Like, I watched the movie The Thing. Does that count as a vague <laughs> interest in science? Um, that's a good question. We'll have to ask. We'll have to get to Airbnb on that one. And so the entire sabbatical lasts a month, and you'll have all living expenses covered. And yeah, What about travel expenses? Do they cover that? Yeah, I think so, right? They, it's part of it. I believe okay. that's, that's part of the deal. Um, I just wanted to confirm. I'm not going and, to do it. Yeah. Well, you'll, so as part of this, as part of your citizen scientist um, privileges and opportunities, it's, you're going to get to contribute to some of the much needed research through a partnership with the nonprofit organization, Ocean Con- uh, Conservancy. And the five chosen travelers will join British scientist, Kirsty Jones Williams, who is currently studying whether microplastics have made their way from our oceans and into the Antarctic shelf. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're gonna do it, yeah, let us well, know. So so last year Airbnb offered a handful of volunteers the chance to live in Italy for three months, working as guides and ambassadors for a small town on in Italy on the brink of disappearing. And so is that kind of like the other article? Yeah. But Italy's paying them, right? Yeah. No, that's. It's slightly different, but probably very similar reasons why they're doing it. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I wanted to see. I thought I had. Oh, yeah, here we go. So winners will be announced on October 30th. The odds, <laughs> the odds are hard. But so um, more than 280,000 people applied for the Italian sabbatical last year and only five made it. Um, so you probably expect similar numbers this time. Um, Those are actually pretty good odds. Uh, may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> but they will, winners will be announced on October 30th. And unfortunately, you will only have, hold on, let me check the dates. Yeah, you should apply today because the uh, you can only enter until 
Tuesday, October 8th, as in tomorrow, midnight Eastern time. So you have like 24 hours. Airbnb.com slash sabbatical. Mm-hmm. You must be over 18. <laughs> All right. Next so our, Yeah, go ahead. You, wanna, you can go. All right. So the last article, is it the last one? Uh, yes. Yeah. All right. So this last article is called, is all about dark tourism. And um, I, the guy from Forbes, Duncan Madden, talks about nine tourist attractions that have brought a lot of tourists. Wow. That was absolutely redundant. So there are eight places that have very macabre backgrounds. Uh, the first one being the National 9-11 Memorial and Museum in New York. Bob and I actually, like when we first met, that was one of our first activities together is going up Tower One and visiting the memorial. Yeah, that was, I mean, we met that week for work and I think we ended up getting some free time. So we've been traveling together since since the week we've met. Yes, basically. Very cute. Very cute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. How many of you, these, have you been to Auschwitz? I have not been to Auschwitz, but I have been to Dachau in Munich. Okay. Yeah. And so it's any place that deals with death and despair and it's, it's a, it's, it's an odd thing, but as, as Duncan kind of points out, um, so as Bob said, it's tourism involving travel to places historically associated with death and tragedy, but these the reasons people visit them isn't necessarily behind their gruesome appeal, as Duncan mentions. It's because of their historical value and remembering what happened. Like they're still there because we should remember it, so we don't repeat it. Have you seen the show on Netflix called Dark Tourism? I have not watched it yet. It's on or no, my I'm list. sorry. It's called Dark Tourist. So he kind of goes beyond these normal. I want to call them normal uh, tourist attractions like 9-11, where a lot of people go to. You know, Chernobyl, I know, grew in popular popularity. Um, After Chernobyl aired. Right. But so this dark tourist show goes to these extremely odd dark tourism industries. And one of the ones that he went to that I found really weird was he joined this tour group that took you on an experience to pretend you were trying to cross the U.S.-Mexican border. And yeah, dude, so he's with this group of people and they're being led by this Mexican guy who's trying to bring them close to the United States border. And midway through, they have these actors with, I don't know if they were real guns. I don't think he knows either, but they pretend to essentially rob you. They push you on the ground. They actually interact with you physically. It seemed really scary and just like really odd that someone would want to pretend to go through something like that when we know that so many people from Mexico and South America are dying that way on a daily basis today. And so these Westerners are putting themselves through these grueling activities that is a really harsh reality for other people. It's messed up. Yeah, that, um, kind, of, that kind of dark tourism, I think, is odd. Because yeah. it, there's others like going into Eastern Europe and visiting like really dark corners of the world that involves like sex trafficking, drug trafficking. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and another one they did on the show was uh, this, they met up with El Pablo Escobar's former right-hand man. And now he operates a tour guide through Medellin, Colombia. And, you know, as the, as, as the show's being narrated, 
he's talking about how realistic this guy is doing these things, pretending to assassinate people, because he did it a million times with Pablo Escobar. And so you're watching this guy act out an, an assassination, but you can see that he knows exactly what he's doing because he actually did it. And there's a weird cult following behind Pablo Escobar now that they kind of idolize him and dismiss the fact that he just killed so many people. So many people. But I think and, that, that was the weird thing about Pablo is that a lot of people idolized him because he gave back to the community a lot and they right. just overlooked the fact that he was a murderous individual. Well, that was part of his manipulation of the people that helped him thrive for as long as he did because people weren't ratting him out. He was getting help from the local population and he kind of turned the police into the enemy. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole, there, we'll just list the eight. Um, so we already talked about the 9-11 Memorial and the mm-hmm. Memorial Museum at Auschwitz. Then number three is the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Museum in Japan. Number four is Chernobyl, which become huge, which became hugely popular after HBO aired their series about it. And it's still not very safe to go there. So I, I am not recommending it that you go I, there at all. Again, there's a really awesome documentary on Netflix about how they encapsulated the the explosion zone with this giant metal dome dude it's so cool the engineering behind it was fascinating did you watch it i didn't watch the whole thing i saw i i didn't see the netflix documentary i saw something on youtube okay (laughs) so i believe everything i read on the internet (laughs) but no it is pretty cool the whole because that was like a six-year-long project to bring that to fruition Mm -hmm. probably 15 years in the making from inception of idea to actual you know and it's only supposed to last 100 years, and then they're going to have to redo it. Yeah. But inside of the dome, they have robots who are currently like trying to disassemble and eliminate the, the radiation somehow. So it's a very neat. It's one of the coolest engineering uh, feats I think we've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. And it's unfortunate that it came out of disaster. Yeah. But number five is the Morambi Genocide Memorial in southern Rwanda. If you haven't seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, it is a, a very sad and powerful dramatization of the events that took place in Rwanda in the mid-90s. Have you been to number six? No, I haven't. Um, I've never cool. been to San Francisco, actually. I've, only, I've been up in that area, but I didn't go into the city. Okay. Alcatraz yeah. Island, right? Yeah. And the penitentiary. It's pretty and cool. What, what was the movie? That- the Rock. The Rock, is that where the three men escaped? And um, no, 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 I'm thinking of it. It's called Escape from Alcatraz. Yes. And it's based on a true story of three prisoners who carved their way out of their cells into the duct system and escaped. And they still to this day have never been found. Some speculate that they died in the water. They didn't, they weren't able to swim. And some speculate that they made it. Yeah. Well, that, I think they have, they put the, penitentiary on the island because the waters are very rough and there are also sharks in the bay Mm -hmm. not a lot but some yeah um but yeah the rock was uh uh sean connery and nick cage nicholas cage okay you haven't seen that that one's kind of fun okay a little ridiculous number seven you're going to in march right or um no next year this time like september i think yeah Uh, i'll be down in pompeii yeah it's uh, it just blows my mind that we have this site to visit. 
out of all the volcanoes that erupted, there's nothing else like it. It's, it's just fascinating to me that we have these, this entire city frozen in time. Yeah. They are clutching their loved ones. They are in kitchens and in their beds and just going about their daily lives when this volcano erupted and essentially eliminated the entire city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last one is the killing fields of Chong Ek in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And I didn't know much about this. And it was, I guess, under uh, the Khmer Rouge regime. They were just imprisoning people and killing men, women, and babies. And they just brought thousands of people to this one area so they could be murdered, in quotes, without wasting bullets. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Upcoming this month, we have three very awesome guests. We have Robin of Safari Deal. He provided information on how we can book safaris around the world with with ease. Very cool. It was a really great conversation. Then we talked with Annalisa, and she talked to us about her six-month excursion. I don't even know if I should have called it an excursion. Her stay in Nicaragua. We get into the, the tourism industry there, the cultural significance of that area, and just had a really fun conversation with her. And lastly, we talk with Anjali, and she talks to us about her Bloom Project, where she travels the world in search of individuals who are helping under-resourced people. It's going to be a really, really interesting month. So thanks for listening, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, whatever you have, and tune in next week. 